Hello, stackers. This is Rhett. I'm the DM for Stack of Dice, and I am excited to continue our ongoing World Builders series. This started almost on a whim a few weeks ago as I found a friend who was into world building. And then through that discussion, I realized quickly, you know, this, I think there's something here. And so we're going to continue the series today. And I'm joined by a new friend, and this is Sarah. Sarah, would you take a moment to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm Sarah. I um, have just started a bit of a journey to become a published novelist. So I've just started putting myself out there with writing and all that stuff. I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons since the end of 2019. And I came to it from a writing background. So I'm very much more interested in the stories that we tell than the dice rolls and the mechanics, um, which have gotten me in trouble sometimes at the table making some <laughs> DM calls. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Great. Well, you know, uh, I wanted to take a moment to talk about how we even met and how this came about. So uh, you are a part of a podcast currently, yes, a podcast series, and you want to talk just briefly about that? Yeah. Uh, so my husband and I play uh, The Fairy and the Free, which is produced by Sojourners Awake. And so I got to know Jonathan through another D&D Discord server, and then we got to playing one-shots and games like that that way. And then, actually very much like you, I started listening to his podcast and became a big fan, and then we got to chatting. The next thing we know, now we're playing a game with him, <laughs> and then you joined one of his games. And that's so right. that's how we met, through that mutual friend. Yeah. And then uh, I shamelessly plugged our show on his Discord. That's okay. And <laughs> I shamelessly plugged my website and my story, so... <laughs> And so uh, we managed to coax you, at least not away, but uh, into our own Discord server. And it's it's been fun getting to know you through chat and that kind of thing. And now now this opportunity with a virtual face-to-face -face as we talk about world building. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I did want to spend a little bit of time talking about your uh, role-playing game experience with world building as much as you've done with that. But then I really want to spend the bulk of our time talking about looking at world building as an author, as somebody mm -hmm. who's putting together a book, and if there are any differences in approach and that sort of thing. So I figured we'll start at least with your experience with world building for RPGs, and then we'll roll into that. So uh, can you tell us maybe some of your experience as a DM running a game? What is your approach to world building there? So much like many fledgling DMs into the world, I started DMing in 2020 because I had nothing better to do with my time, um, <laughs> furloughed for a little while, couldn't leave the house. Um, mm. And actually, and you'll, you'll find this a common thread, I got a silly idea that then just snowballed very quickly. Um, I'm familiar so, with that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's basically my mantra and how I do everything. One little nugget expands the universe for me. But I actually started my first campaign um, in the same setting that one of my novels is set in, because I'd already done all this work to develop this world and this cultures and everything. Um, and so then I just took that setting that is not at all D&D related and just converted it into a D&D setting. Um, and that's actually what forced me to come up with my whole creation mythology that I sent you. Because when I was reading in the, the handbook, it's like, oh, well, if you're going to make a pantheon of gods, then you just need one for every cleric domain. And I'm like, well, what's a cleric domain? <laughs> <laughs> so then I had to go through the cleric domain and be like, well, I don't want to do a pantheon of gods. I wanted to have a monotheistic kind of creation. Um, mm -hmm. So I was like, so where are these 
mages and paladins going to get their magic from if they're divine casters. And so that led to the creation of the celestials and all that. So I took the setting that I already had um, and I just converted it. I took the, um, it gave me a whole set of pre-stock NPCs because all of my characters then became NPCs I could use. Um, what was interesting is I changed some alignments. So people who were good guys in the book were now bad guys in D&D and I switched things up. Um, but I did that because I really needed, um, or I didn't feel comfortable reading the book and I wanted something that any moment I can improvise because I know my world so well. And that's something right. that I've really found in D&D is the more knowledge you have, the more rich your game becomes. So if you're even if you're running like a, a Forgotten Realms setting, the more you know about the Forgotten Realms, the more you can just pull in and pack in the lore and it just gets a greater and better experience. Yeah, yeah. And so the conundrum that I run into, especially these days, when I was in high school, maybe not so much because I had time in between homework and school and all that to actually sit down and read. I find that pre-made campaign settings these days just don't have the same appeal to me because mm -hmm. I don't have the time to sit down and just immerse myself in it. Right. There are many demands on my time. So I have found that homebrewed world building is actually quite a bit more freeing to me mm -hmm. because I don't feel tied to the source material. Right. And nobody knows if I stray from it. <laughs> That's the <laughs> more important thing. Yeah. Have you felt the same with using your creation Oh, bringing absolutely. it into yeah okay there had been several times that uh, my players went in a completely different direction and i made a, a rookie mistake as a new dm i dropped them into a huge metropolitan city the capital of the known world <laughs> and so i didn't start them in a small space where i could feel out what i was doing i'm like here's mm -hmm. a giant city and they're like well and i i remember the first <laughs> game because i kind of funneled them into a dungeon immediately so that I could control everything in the dungeon. And then the first game where they were released into the city, I had prepared all these shops and I'm like, they might look for this, they might look for that. And then like, it was like a blacksmith and all sorts of things. And then they're like, we want to find an herbalist. And I had no herbalist. <laughs> and I was like the one shop I hadn't prepared for. Of course. Um, but because I know the story, I'm like, uh, well, here's the character I'm going to pull. And now there's an herbalist shop. And I was able to, and he even actually became integral to revealing the plot line because I knew the Perfect. way he was connected to all the other characters. There you um, go. So yeah, I, I very much enjoy having my own setting. I actually tried to run a pre-made game and I maybe didn't pick the good one to start with. Um, and I hated it. And I took that as an opportunity. I, I actually sent them through a portal. And then now I have them world hopping so that I can just make my own little contained one shots that will eventually lead to the end of the story. Great. Yeah, so. that's exciting. And as we start to move from your, your RPG experience and into the book writing, uh, maybe we'll, we'll revisit this at the end after mm -hmm. we talk about your, your book writing. Um, I'll be interested to know if the game experience at the table in your world of your creation has influenced, you know, future writing in that world as they change the course of events. If there's a separation, if you have book world and then RPG world and never the twain shall meet. <laughs> no, some of the things that my characters created are, um, have definitely ended up in the book world. Um, not all of it. So the, just very briefly, the, the way the book works is at some point, the world was in chaos, and then the race of dragons took over and for a little while had an empire over the whole continent. And then, of course, the subjects rebelled, and so now that's how you get your splintered countries. In the D&D &D game, um, I kept the dragons as a one empire going on. 
Uh, but one of my characters in that game, um, he wanted his character to come from like a monastery type situation where there's all these different temples and they train these warriors and monster fighters. And like, I had not conceived of that. And that has worked itself into like, now I'm like, well, now in my novel, there's going to be these secret temples and these people. <laughs> it was actually kind of the marrying of two ideas because in the novel, we had something called the sleepers, which are just uh, secret agents, basically, who... Um, hunt down powerful mages who are too powerful, and if they're too powerful, they come and they take them out. Because uh, we kind of made magic a little broken on accident in the story. Um, so now I've taken this temple idea. I'm like, well, what if the temple are the sleepers? And I've put them together. I'm like, now I've got a whole culture ah. to base this on, and that came from my player. That didn't come from me. So yeah, there's definitely things that they have said and done that I'm like, okay, that's pretty cool. And there's also <laughs> yeah. other things like one of my players was the Kalashtar. And there's just no Kalash stars in our novel. There's no room yeah. for him. There's no place for him. So gotcha. his whole yeah. little thing, as cool as it is, it's it's just not going to be in the book unless we change their species. Right. So. Right. I think I'd like to spend more time on on that this this merging or splitting of of the two worlds mm-hmm. uh, again at the end because um, I think there's a lot there. So let, let's go on to your writing and the world that you've created for your books. Why don't you start by telling us about that world, and then let's see where, where that takes us. Okay. I've got two works in progress. The one that I keep referring to, I actually don't have a title for, and I have to give credit. I am not the only person writing this story, so a lot of the world building came from my co-author as well. Um, but the world is called Enkaira. And that's just a name that's stuck with me since I was a kid. Like when I was a little kid playing pretend with my sister and my cousin, we invented this world and we called it Enkaira. And I don't know if they remember that or not, and they're going to think I'm stealing from them. But I mean, this was a long time ago. Um, but when it came needing a time to name this world, we called it Enkaira. And what's really interesting is, uh, <laughs> and this is something that I strongly believe about world building is uh, you just, or let me back up. The way I approach world building is actually character driven. Um, So I get an idea for a character and I'll get a character and I'll get a story idea. And then I have to build the world around that character. Like where do they exist in this world and how do they fit? The main premise is that these two little twin mages at basically Hogwarts have uh, stumbled upon some ancient dragon bones and the brother gets possessed by the spirit of a old dead dragon who's supposed to be this awful villain um, and actually he was supposed to be the villain the story and into writing I decided I liked him so much I made him the main protagonist <laughs> so that really started us like with the human realm and now we've got a human kingdom but we're like well where do the dragons live and so that got us uh, into the dragon kingdom up in the north with the desert and then we had all we kept calling them realms at first because we didn't know like where they existed if there were different planes of existence or anything um, and so, yeah, so then we had our, our dragons up in the desert, and then we had we had elves in the first draft. I think when we go through writing, um, we're probably going to change the elves and call them something else, because I don't want to fall into all the tropes. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had all these realms, and we kept calling them realms, and we didn't know how it all worked. And the fourth realm was the Wildlands, which is just anything goes. And the way the world map came together is because my co-author and I were sitting at a table with my husband, who is an artist, and we wanted him to draw a map for us. And we just, just like you and I are talking about it, we're just like, well, let's see, the dragons are in the desert and they have to be completely isolated from everyone because nobody can get there. And there's a big volcano because in that one scene, the dragons are flying through the <laughs> volcano and we're just like talking about how it's supposed to go. And Mike's just sitting there like, uh-huh. 
and just sketching. And the next thing we know, he like drops this map out and it was everything we had said, but on paper. Nice. And we're like, oh, it's a world. <laughs> yeah. So everyone should have a map maker on retainer. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you don't, don't even bother world building. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> I got strong feelings about that. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm kidding with you. So that sounds great. Let's talk about, as an author, mm-hmm. your world building. And let, let me start by saying, I think the difference between role-playing games and books is that the biggest difference is the collaborative aspect of, mm-hmm. of the game experience. Yes. Uh, you can plan, you can plan and plan and plan. And then when the players take that hard left to visit the herbalist <laughs> that you didn't account for, suddenly everything changes. Yes. Whereas with a book, you are master of your domain. Mm-hmm. Everything is set. So I wanted to see, first of all, how freeing is it to you as an author to be world building for your book? Does it feel like, you know, you sit down and you are slipping into a, a homey place when you do that? So world building actually stresses me out really badly. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Um, I I get overwhelmed with having to come up with all the details. So I will world build very naturally. Um, mm-hmm. When I need something, that's when I invent it. Like I said, so like there are memes out there and I've seen them all the time. That's, and I've seen one specifically that says, if you don't know where the coffee shop keeps their mug on the exact part of the counter when the player walks in, like you are not ready to write your story. <laughs> and if you don't know where the food comes from and how the taxation works, you're not ready to write the story. And I so strongly disagree with that. Like wholeheartedly, that's not true. Um, if you yeah. take the time to do all that stuff, you're never going to actually write your story. Right. No, I'm with you on that. So, I, yeah, I start with the characters and I'm like, well, this is where they're at and this is what's around them. And now how does this town function? You know, the book starts in a town that we call Nazmanai and we know that there's a magic school there. Well, now why is there a magic school there? And then that's how I start building the lore piece by piece. And so for the first draft, it might be a little clunky. We've had to go back and retcon things. But that's what you have the freedom to do as a writer is the first draft tells you what the story is. The second draft is for making the story make sense. And then the right. third draft is for making it flow. You don't quite get that luxury in a D&D game. Uh, what you right. say is canon. And if you forget that you said that, all your players will remember for you. <laughs> that's right. And they will tell you about yeah, it. Yeah, it's like, oh, actually, you said this. And I've been that player who's done that. So I get uh-huh. it. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I remember in one game, I was running for some friends. We were playing through the, uh, the Princess of the Apocalypse campaign setting mm-hmm. in the Forgotten Realms. And uh, they were in a dungeon, one of the elemental temples. And they walked into a room and there was a gnome chained to a pillar Gosh. When they got into the room, he looked at them with wild eyes and then yelled, run, you know? And so, <laughs> uh, you know, here they are. Oh no, what do we do? What do we do? And then they, they fight a creature. And then when they trying to release the gnome from the pillar, for whatever reason, you know, even though this had happened just minutes ago, I said, well, he doesn't understand what you're saying, <laughs> but he said, run, said one of the players. <laughs> and I was like, oh, of course. <laughs> he knows one word in common. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so th- that, you know, I didn't, I wasn't thinking like that at the moment. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> so I shot him a withering look and uh, we moved on from there. But <laughs> yes, I've had those moments and I've had to yeah. be like, well, you know what? I'm going to retcon that. And this is what actually happened. <laughs> right. Right. So, so that's the draft of the TTRPG setting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Retconning. Gotcha. Uh, And I'm with you. You know, if you spend too much time on details, you'll never start working. 
Yes. I like that mentality. You have to take chances. You have to get out there. And then the revision process is where you start to mm-hmm. uh, work on continuity, where you work on the details to, uh, to make it a seamless whole, hopefully. Yeah. Great. So as an author, in this world of your own devising, what, what do you think it is about your, your setting that, that really stands out? What is it that you think is unique to your world? Mm, unique to my world. Um, I had thought this was unique when I started it, but then I discovered that it's how it works in D&D. And I did not know that because I started the story before I ever played D&D, but I'm, I really love our dragon race. Um, our dragons, they're more like were dragons where they are people, they walk around looking like people, mm. they do people things, but mm-hmm. they can turn into dragons. Um, and I've done a lot to try to like nerf the dragon so you don't have this giant house sized reptile because nobody would, you know, break free from a dragon realm if that were how all the dragons were. So they're about horse sized or elephant sized for the larger ones. Mm. Um, I've set them in a desert setting. As opposed to that traditional, you know, Western European. Um, and they ended up taking that position because they, as a species, can handle all of the heat. Um, something I've really laid into with the dragons is that they are cold blooded reptiles. Uh, so they spend a lot of time being concerned about how to regulate their body temperature mm. externally instead of internally. And so when my main character ends up, you know, in a teenage boy's body, human, Like, he's always so hot all the time because he doesn't, like, he's never been warm-blooded before, and he just thinks it's the weirdest thing. And sweating (laughs) is just awful to him. Off topic, I'd be interested to know how you deal with desert nights when the temperature plunges 30 degrees in the course (laughs) of an hour. (laughs) Uh, Yes, lots of hot stones. (laughs) Yeah, okay, gotcha. Yeah, I I did think about that because I'm like, wait, the desert gets cold at night. I'm like, just... That's where the fires come in. Um, our magic system is elemental based. So everybody, um, the idea was we wanted magic to be really common, mm-hmm. um, which we've actually through the second draft have decided to make it a little less common. Like everyone initially had the ability to do magic, but just like you all have the ability to run, some athletes are better than like your common person. Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody is born with an affinity. Um, and that affinity is there's, it all comes from the sun and the moon. So you're either a sun affinity or moon affinity, but then those break down into fire or water or ice. And then all of your magic is based on like that element. And we get a little liberal with that, but then you can take the magic and you can trap it in stones and minerals. Um, So we've got obsidian is our fire stone. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you can trap fire magic into obsidian and then you can um, wear that around your neck as basically your own personal heater. Gotcha. Um, so that's one way. That's how one of my dragons deals with the changing temperatures. Another one, um, I've got another branch of magic we call soul magic, which our dark elves use. And that magic is um, considered heretical only in that it takes your own life to cast those spells. Um, mm-hmm. And it's cast through expressions of art. So he has a dark elf friend who is uh, tattooed a phoenix on his back and enchanted that phoenix to keep him warm. Um, so there's, there's a couple different things that we've invented on the fly and I don't know if they're all make it to draft two, but that's, <laughs> that's where they are right now. Um, yeah. Uh, well, well, the way that you've approached this, I, I really think there's a lot of benefit in talking more about 
the thinking through things and putting yourself on the ground and walking through a scene and trying to say, okay, this happens. And so the natural outgrowth of that is this. I'd love to know how you worked through that with your dragons in particular, the actual process and not, not the, necessarily the end result. I guess the way I get there is sort of as I have need. I'll start, like it always starts with characters. Uh, so my main character was in a relationship with a princess that he should not have been in a relationship with because he was a servant. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had brought her to, and I don't know if this will stay in the second draft because I feel like it's a little unrealistic, but he had used magic. He's a moon mage. He can use reflections to travel. Um, so he had brought her into uh, the human continent where they could be together and no one would find them um Mm -hmm. with their relationship and it was very snowy because the princess he's in a relationship is an ice dragon and so she loves snow but she never has snow in the desert um and then that was where i got to well she's warm-blooded as an ice dragon because we decided our water-based and ice dragons are warm-blooded to stay warm in those scenarios but how does he stay warm when there's a foot of snow outside sure and that was that was just me grasping for a solution, and that solution became the obsidian stone because I was like, "Well, okay. I want him there because I want this beautiful scene where they're right. in the snow together." But how do I get there? And yeah. so then I just grab for anything, and then now that's just how it happens everywhere. Perfect. Yeah. So that that's exactly what I was looking for. Uh, the process is you let things develop naturally. Uh, it's this is happening, so what's the result of that? Okay, yes. there's the result. Now what does that mean for this over here? Yeah. And so it's a chain of events that it's a the outgrowth of you thinking through all the ramifications, looking at the scene from outside and saying, now what happens if this changes? Yes. That's wonderful. And I can imagine the fire dragon in this snowy scene with the water melting or the snow melting around his feet yes. <laughs> as he's standing there. Yeah. So a lot of fun to the process of just taking a moment, getting away from the keyboard, mm-hmm. sitting back in a chair and thinking, okay, here's the situation. What does it mean? Mm-hmm. And and then from that, you're just letting your mind wander. You're coming up with, okay, here's how I explain this. Here's how I explain that. And so I think one of the lessons we can take from this is a good part of the world building experience needs to take part away from fingers moving. Yeah. There needs to be a lot of thought that goes into it, a lot of time away from doing to just be. Yeah. A lot of my problems get solved during the showers. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what <laughs> I'm like oh, just washing my hair like, man, I gotta figure this out and then it'll come to you or those moments right before you fall asleep or wake up. Um just stepping away. Okay, uh, so do you have? Are you one of those lucky people who, when you go to bed, you have a notebook by the bed? I should. <laughs> There's <laughs> been many of, times that I'll be yeah. writing and I can't figure out the next like few sentences. So I'm like, well, let me just lay down and go to bed. And then as I'm laying there, I'm like, oh, this is how the dialogue should sound. And then uh-huh. I wake up and it's gone. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm like, dang it, I should have written it down. <laughs> I'm 30 years old and I still do it. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, so yeah, that, that's a great way to look at the world building process, I think, and uh, appreciate you sharing mm-hmm. that aspect with us. How about oh. other aspects? Oh, go ahead. Go for I was, it. Go I, for was like, I was going to say something. What was it? Oh, I try to think of like if a YouTuber were making a like 10 things this story got wrong video, mm-hmm. what are the things they would call out? And then I try to answer those questions or like a pitch meeting, you know, where they make fun of all the little plot holes and like inconsistencies in a story. I try to think like, what would this person make fun of? 
And how do I make sure they can't? <laughs> yeah, great. And I think that's an excellent way to look at it. Sit in the player seat mm-hmm. and look back at your scene, your story, your world, wh- whatever it is that you're working on, and try and look at it through their eyes. And I'll tell you, uh, to, to move away from the book writing and back to the, the world of games, before mm-hmm. we started the Stack of Dice podcast, Thane and I actually sat down with the intent of playing a prequel game where we developed characters, one of mm-hmm. which was Enderil, uh, the stag. Oh, I and forgot we... his name. Sorry. What's that? <laughs> I said I forgot the stag's name. Yeah, yeah. You were like Anderil, and I'm like, who? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no problem. And uh, and so we actually played through with the goal of fleshing out the world. We visited places. We did mm-hmm. things. We built stories. And some of that has actually crept into the podcast. And so our goal with that series was to give the world a, a lived-in feel. Mm-hmm. And so um, that helped uh, that helped me to look at the world from the player's perspective, and I think that's helped with with the building aspect. You know, it's funny you say that. Um, when my husband started listening to your podcast a couple of days ago, he actually made the comment of, um, and he hasn't even made it to episode one of your playthrough yet. Um, he's still in just the leading up to it, and he said uh-huh. it got him thinking about the campaign he's been wanting to run and how he would do. He's like, yeah, I want to start each game. Uh, or each, I want to start a series with like a one-on-one with each player and let them kind of like play through it. So like what you were just describing, he picked up through what you had done and wants to do in the future for himself. So even though we didn't know those prequel episodes exist, we could just like sense it, I guess. Yeah. uh, That there was more going on. And actually Brandon, who plays Hawkins in the Sojourners Awake, Mm -hmm. we had him over and we had a separate, well, he actually joined us for maybe one or two uh, table sessions where we we played with this story. Oh, how fun! Yeah, and so we got to uh, we got to have him in on the creation process. I am desperately trying to get him involved in the recording aspect. <laughs> yeah, he's a lot of fun to listen to. I didn't know yeah. that you guys knew him too. Yeah, like yeah, I've seen him yeah. in your uh, Discord, but I didn't know mm-hmm. the connection. Yeah, we are. We've been friends since they moved here. I think in 2012. Oh, awesome! It's been a lot of fun. Are there other aspects of your world, your book world, that you want to talk about? I mean, I could I could talk all day about everything. <laughs> um, so really, it would be what you want to hear about. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, yeah, I just wanted to see if there was any other unique aspects that, that really uh, you devoted your mind to. And, and if there's not, that's perfect. Um, I think we've got some good stuff. Mm-hmm. And we can always, if you think of something after this, you are welcome to tell me, hey, I've got more and yeah. we'll, we'll do another one. We'll do a part B. <laughs> I'm happy to revisit. I do want to make a comment towards, um, I don't know, I know you wanted to talk a little bit more about the D&D aspect to the end. I've heard you say, and I've heard it been said in the podcast, that when you're using a pre-written setting, you're kind of tied down to the lore of the story. But really, every session is your session in your game. And if you change a detail... That's just how it works in your version of the Sword Coast. Um, Absolutely. And I've done that because, you know, the story that I'm currently releasing is set in in Menzo Barons and in the Forgotten Realms. And there's some aspects of drow culture that I've embellished or added onto or even changed a little bit because it suited the story better. And if anyone wants to claim, I'm like, well, hey, this is just my version of this story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's been things that I've changed and altered there. So if you're... DMing and you're really stressed out about not getting everything right because you can't remember, you know, the entire Seldarine or anything, just, you know, take a step back because it's always your world. You always get to build on it. They just gave you something to start with. 
Yeah, I, I appreciate you making that distinction. Um, my personal fear is not so much that, that I'll get a detail wrong, but that people who are listening will be turned off from listening because, yeah. well, this is no longer what I was here for. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, I, I fully appreciate. And I think the D&D core rule books have been very good about saying, your game, your table, you do what you want. Right. Uh, but the perfectionist in me <laughs> and, and the content creator in me says, yeah, I get it. But <laughs> yeah, no, if yeah. you have an audience, then somebody's gonna, you know, give you a hard time for getting one detail wrong. Yeah, um, yeah. But if you're playing at your own table and nobody's there, but your players, and you might have a player who's that way. But I mean, at the end of the day, you're the DM. If you want your drow to be good instead of evil, go for it. You know, yeah. you get to make it up. You get to decide. That's exactly right. Um, yeah. So going back to the uh, odd relationship between a, a storybook world that you're putting into a book and then the interactive element of the game setting. Mm. Have you had any interesting moments? And I know you've talked a little bit about some of it where players did something in game and you're like, huh, I'm going to take that and I'm going to grab it and stick it in my book. Yes. Are there any other examples that you can think of where something like that happened? Um, <laughs> I can think of a funny one. Um, it actually was uh, worked against me. So I, there's a meme somewhere. I get a lot of ideas from memes uh -huh. uh, actually one of my whole st one of my novels is entirely based on a very silly meme that i took and just <laughs> ran with and now i've got a whole world from that wow okay. uh, i love that story but uh i was new to D, &D so i didn't knew, know how everything works so one of the npcs i created um she was a broken oath paladin and she had a husband that she had tried to revive that she was unable to revive and so now she has his body that won't decay and won't like he's not decaying, but he's not alive either. And so she wanted to learn the secret of resurrection. And one of my players just like, just cast revivify. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that doesn't work in this world. Yeah. Because <laughs> I didn't know. I'm like, I didn't realize there were spells that brought people back from the dead. Mm -hmm. um, because as I don't know, like it's always kind of this unspoken rule that like everything can be cured but death. And if you bring the dead back, it's always evil in my fantasy novel background. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, yeah, I was just like, well, no, Revivify no longer works. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the struggles I've had with converting the setting to a D&D &D setting um, is, in my experience, if a player can point to something in a rule book that says they should be able to do something, then they're going to get upset if I tell them, well, in this world, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. um, so I've really just been very lenient. Like I said, the story, the magic is elemental based where everyone is uh, born with an affinity and the affinity determines what type of your magic looks like. But obviously D&D &D isn't that way. Um, you can, you don't have to stick to one type of magic or one element of magic. Um, so that really changed the dynamic of the world that I was in. Gotcha. I'm trying to think, gotcha. I don't think any of my players really played casters though. Um, yeah. I had a druid, but yeah, otherwise I just had fighter classes. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I think we should come back at a future date and talk more about your magic system because it sounds really neat. Like there's a lot of potential there. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Like I said, yeah. I had a lot of help with that with my co-author. He's yeah. made a whole chart and everything because like I said, world building stresses me out and I get overwhelmed. <laughs> so I'll start talking about the ideas and he just kind of wrote it down and made it look nice. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's exactly how that works. <laughs> <laughs>
Can you tell us a bit more about your work, the, the actual projects you're working on, and maybe where we can find some samples of the stuff you've been doing? Oh, geez. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you don't want to share. No, I do. Um, So I have a website. It's storiesbysarahdanielle.com. And on there, I have a little blurb about the three stories that I'm working on. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I've called the one we've talked about most, The Enchiro Chronicles, because we don't actually have a title for the story. I actually, the document is entitled Dragons and Things, because we don't have a title. (laughs) So it's like, yeah, it's about, you know, dragons and things. Uh, But yeah, my website has information on all the stuff I'm working on. Uh, I am currently releasing my, I guess for lack of a better term, fan fiction Hmm. um, about drow. So I'm I'm a big fan of drow, not drow particularly and their evil race, but the redemption stories that come out of it. Um, So I've been releasing that on Substack and podcast and YouTube. Uh, I don't know when this episode will air, but hopefully I'll have a couple of chapters out by the time this post and you can find me on Instagram uh, stories by Sarah Danielle. Um, and that's where I post all my updates and little snippets of writing that I've done. Yeah. And uh, we will definitely post links to all of those things in our show notes. You've been very sharing with your work and I, I've appreciated getting to know you through the oh, things absolutely. you've written. Yeah. I appreciate you giving me all that uh, feedback because <laughs> <laughs> it is very scary to release something so precious to you. Um, and, yeah. and I will say like something I'm very nervous about is uh, I can't afford to hire a professional editor. Um, so I know mm. that the work could be better than what it is. Like I've done the best that I can and I've gotten a lot of good feedback from everyone who's read it, who they say they get sucked in. They just love the story and the characters. But like there's that perfectionist in me that goes, yeah, I know. But if I had an editor, it could be better. Um, So I really appreciated your uh, feedback on just, you said, oh, the prose sounds fine. I was like, oh, good. He's an English major. He knows. (laughs) He's a librarian. He gets it. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I really appreciate it. And I'm going to be working on posting chapter two today. Well, not posting it, but at least getting the video ready to post on Monday. Yeah. And Um, is that okay to share the link to the videos? Absolutely. Go for it. Great. (laughs) I'm putting it out there to be found. I'm just terrified to be found. (laughs) Yeah, I I fully agree. I've told you through Discord, Mm -hmm. my finger hovered for a long time over that first submit button. Yeah. Well, we're Uh, certainly glad you submitted. So, (laughs) (laughs) Well, and uh, it's been really fun to get to know you through shared podcasting experience, through shared creation experience, and, and of course, all of our discussions on Discord. Yeah, it's been fun. And, I hope uh, I don't uh, fill you with spam on your display too much. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> I'm just very thankful and humbled that you thought about talking to me. So like I said, I just started this journey to be a writer in January. Um, wow. So like I've been writing my whole life, but to actually mm-hmm. dedicate time to it just started in January. So it was very uh, encouraging to be thought of. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I'm just always thrilled when somebody who has a creative mind is willing to share process and work. Uh, because I think that opens the world to a bunch more people. When people see, yes, I'm a creator. Yes, I have a lot of doubts about the things I do. I think that's actually empowering for people mm-hmm. who may have the same feeling, may have the same doubts. At some point, if you're passionate enough about it, you're going to want to put yourself out there. You're going to need mm-hmm. to put yourself out there if you want to share your work with others. Mm-hmm. And so I genuinely appreciate you taking the time to talk about your experience and we may well revisit aspects of your world. And I hope we do uh, yeah, absolutely. Through, through another episode. 
Stackers, what did you think? We'd love to hear from you on Twitter and Instagram at Stack of Dice. We do have a Discord server now, so if you're a Discord denizen, feel free to, uh, to drop in, and we will be happy to see you. We'll welcome you there, and we'll see you here again next time at Stack of Dice. Oh,